Following on from our earlier story and the many anniversaries of the awful weather events that plagued much of the country at the start of last year and caused so much heartache, forecasters at Niwa are exploring whether they can use AI to help predict the impacts of extreme weather right down to a street level. Following Cyclone Gabrielle, Niwa added $5 million a year in funding for extreme weather research. It's being pumped into several projects which are producing models showing which properties or infrastructure could be at risk from things like storms, droughts or heat waves. Niwa climate scientist Nava Fadaev is spearheading one such project, pulling together a range of data to forecast exactly where any potential slips or flooding may hit. And Niwa meteorologist Ben Knoll says his team are already briefing key agencies and authorities about areas at risk of drought or fire that El Nino may deliver in the months ahead. Nava Fadaev and Ben Knoll, kia ora great to have you with us, thanks. Morena. So impact... Kia ora, good morning. Oh, good morning, Ben. Um, Nava, impact forecasting, how is this able to reach such a level of detail? Can you tell me the mechanics behind the work you're doing, please? Sure thing. So maybe just a definition of impact forecasting is it's a bit of a... Uh, a shift from how we would traditionally forecast. So uh, simply put, it's moving from what the weather is going to be, but what it might do or lead to. So instead of saying there will be 15 millimetres of rain tomorrow, um, it's using that information saying it's these roads will be impassable, uh, or instead of saying in the next few weeks will be dry and sunny, we can say a meteorological drought is going to emerge in these regions. And to be able to do that is integrating weather data with other information, such as the exposure of populations, where assets like houses and roads are, infrastructure, and their vulnerability to hazardous events. So it's really combining all that information. We already have quite granular information about our rain and, and rivers and things like that, but we've never really connected the dots in a, in a real-time manner anyway. We already do this um, as a post-disaster kind of um, analysis, not so much in, in a forecasting capacity. People are sceptical about this. I know it happened when earthquake risk began, the insurers began looking at doing this, you know, suburb by suburb, street by street, because there are simply so many different factors that can affect, for example, how an earthquake unfolds. Massive physics behind it that I don't understand other than a superficial level. And again, if you're going to go into Mm -hmm. this kind of detail with weather disasters, explain the kind of computing grunt the kind of data crunching across God knows how many variables that would have to be very, very good for this to work. Yeah, quite a lot. And it's not just about it being good. Um, What we do now with a lot of modelling, so especially in weather, is we use ensembles. So instead of having just one answer, you actually have a lot of different scenarios. So the output of this kind of information, it's not going to be this is exactly what's going to happen. Even, you know, the biggest computer in the world isn't going to do that because, like you said, there's quite a lot of um, bits and pieces. There's a lot of uncertainty. But that doesn't mean that we can't get useful information if we know that some areas are at a higher risk or some streets or whatever it may be that the output is. Then, And we know that well ahead of time, then we can uh, kind of take uh, – different actions than if we didn't have that information, if we had quite uh, coarse information saying, well, Auckland City, the whole thing or something like that is affected. So 
Um, even though there's still uncertainty from the modeling, we can still get a lot of useful information to make better decisions. So th that would be my answer to that. But the compute power is quite a lot, which is why you, know, you mentioned AI uh, and machine learning and things like that. It, it's, it's kind of a, a necessary tool for us to be able to do this because traditional modeling is just too grunty and therefore too costly and too slow. We produce a national river flow forecast, but to be able to predict if which areas will flood, so if the river kind of bursts its banks, or not necessarily bursts its banks, but just kind of overtops the river, which areas will be inundated, to be able to calculate that with traditional physical modeling, it just takes too long. By the time you get your answer, it's too late. All the information has updated and it's a bit stale. So we are actually using uh, machine learning and AI to say, well, if this is the river flow, historically, what areas have flooded? And doing this kind of quick matching uh, type of exercise, which is very quick uh, compared to the alternative. And that is the kind of information we can then feed into uh, other software that says, okay, if this area was flooded, then which properties will be affected, which uh, roads may be impassable. So that's kind of the pipeline of all that information. It's really tying in the weather forecasting with the hydrology, and then we use the other vulnerability type information to get the output of what is the impact of that potential weather event. So a lot, a lot of threads to connect in there. Even agencies, most of them, um, you know, state agencies or their allies. How many? How many different agencies are involved in this? So NEWA's doing a lot of the research right now. We're really just testing to see if this is possible, but we're working with quite a lot of different end users uh, and how, making sure that they, they tell us what's important to them. So we're looking at working with emergency managers, the likes of FEMS, to um, really tease out the information that will be of most use to them. And also the lead time. You know, if you knew something, uh, obviously we get more accurate the closer you are to the event, but if we could give a heads up about areas, even if there's a lot of uncertainty, five days out, what kind of decisions would they make? What would they do differently? So that dialogue with end users is a big part of the project. Well, who are the end users first? Um, and actually, I'll, I'll ask part two because they're related. What, what's the critical period for taking proactive action? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I mean, we do modelling for all different timescales, right? So you could argue that with climate change information, which is, you know, looking decades out, you could be, you're doing your, your planning, your infrastructure planning, and therefore you're, you're mitigating some of the risks for flooding. Um, Ben's the expert on seasonal forecasting and El Nino and things like that. So at that time scale, you could be doing various actions as well, preparing for a dry summer or wet summer, more storms, things like that. Then we start to get signals in the sub-seasonal space a few weeks out where you could be doing different types of actions. And then when we get to the weather time scale, which really we're talking kind of uh, maybe out to 10 days, maybe 14, um, but th that's a very different action there. So it's only in the, in the days ahead where you're getting advice like these areas may need to evacuate um, or uh, these people, or we may need to kind of locate our um, even with having talking to fans, where they may put their appliances because where they 
um, normally are, that area might be flooded, so they may need to move the fire engines out and put them somewhere else. So that, that's the kind of decisions you're making um, at the shorter end of the, of the time scale. So it's so massive, you can, really, isn't you it? Can it's everything diff- from, it's it everything is, from it central is. government through the region and local government making decisions on where infrastructure goes um, through to the civil defence response, the FENS first, first responders response. So where are we at? Absolutely. Where are we at in terms of the project are also in there as well. Yeah. Where are we at in terms of the project project. and who ultimately is going to disseminate and update and use this information? Someone somewhere has got to say, here it is, here's what you need, here's what you need. Who's going to do that? And and are we anywhere near ready to do that? Sure. So this particular project is uh, in early stages. Uh, NEMA already does a breadth of modelling across climate change and weather and hydrology and natural hazards. So there's already existing kind of information that is of use. Uh, it's not like we're waiting for this project to um, finish. So we're, we're really early stages of connecting those dots, as I mentioned, and uh, testing some of the products with end users. So it's not ready to kind of be used uh, ahead of time. But there are other projects. That I, I've been talking a lot about flooding and Ben's been quiet. He, he's more on the on the dry end of the scale around drought. So some a project he's working on that's already being used by end users to uh, plan for it and mitigate uh, potential drought. So maybe he can talk about that one. Okay, thanks very much for that, Nava. For Dave, let's bring in Ben Knoll, Niwa meteorologist, who's been looking, as she says, at areas which may be at risk from drought or fire as El Nino hits in the coming months. So, Ben, you can get into a few specifics here as to what you've been doing, please. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Kyoto. Um, yeah, so over the last couple of years, uh, we Niwa has been collaborating with the Ministry for Primary Industries on a brand new uh, drought forecasting dashboard. And in order to do this, um, we are leveraging uh, the latest and greatest in data science and actually combining that with the physical science uh, to run a what is called a sub-seasonal model out 35 days into the future. So it kind of gives you a glimpse at whether themes, trends, and anomalies over the next month plus. Uh, and this is a timescale where there's growing interest in uh, forecast information. Uh, because it is, you know, while it's not kind of really immediate short term, uh, organizations, farmers, growers, they're making decisions on these operational decisions on these timescales. You know, so it can help to answer questions kind of delving toward the impact side. You know, should I be irrigating? What should I be thinking about with my stock if we're going to be going into a drought? You know, when to plant logistics? You know, when can I you know pick fruits that are ripe? And those types of things actually can, uh, you know, be driven in a data-driven sense uh, by the forecast information on these kind of week-to-week timescales, what is known as the sub-seasonal space. Break down what you actually do to do this, please. Get a bit geeky on it. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, back in 2020, uh, uh, the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in the U.S., they actually extended one of their weather models out from 16 days to 35 days. And that data is actually publicly accessible. So here at NIWA, uh, that runs once a day. So we ingest that 35-day data from NOAA. And what we do uh, is we run a, a deep learning model uh, across New Zealand and basically train the model to uh, based on a five-kilometer data set that we hold for New Zealand to uh, what is known as downscale it 
from its uh, original resolution, which is 50 kilometers, these big grid boxes across New Zealand, and we downscale it to five kilometers and run that out to 35 days. So we're enhancing, um, adding value to that original data set. uh, And then we're predicting things like rainfall, soil moisture, uh, something called potential evapotranspiration to get a little bit nerdy, and combining all of those different variables to provide an indication of meteorological drought uh, out 35 days into the future. And it's kind of one of a kind, not just for New Zealand, but on an international scale. We've actually, um, one of uh, my colleagues, uh, Nalish Rampal, he's been over to Australia, presented this at a conference, and there were lots of people coming up to him after he gave his presentation. So there's a lot of interest, and I, I often like to say that kind of climate is the new weather. I think we're getting really, the weather forecasting nowadays, I think we're almost spoiled with with how good it's getting. Uh, and we're seeing kind of a push toward longer time scales. And the combination of the physical modeling with the data science allows those models to train and learn from weather patterns in the past. Uh, is that publicly available now? This is the drought dashboard. And is it user friendly? Who, who should and could be using it now? It is out there for freely available for all Kiwis. Uh, it has an agricultural focus. So it's, it's again, a kind of a collaboration with MPI. And that was actually what has guided it along the way so that the outputs are uh, understandable to uh, and at the average person. So if you were to, you know, open up a search browser and search, you know, NEWA drought forecasting, NEWA drought dashboard, or even head to NEWA.co.nz, you'd actually be able to find this. It updates once a day, and it gives us, again, kind of a glimpse or an overview at the next five weeks. And it's not just a drought forecaster. It does the other side of the spectrum, too. It looks at the risk of, of heavy rainfall events. So we can see if rainfall is going to be well below normal or well above normal uh, and start to make decisions uh, around, you know, what if week two features, you know, okay. uh, a big deluge and what if week three or four shows, you know, a drying trend. So is this what Wellington Water is using at the moment for its updates on um, likelihood of us all showering under flower pots? Oh, yeah. Wellington Water, um, they are uh, considering, I think, some of this some of this information uh, to assist. I mean, it's just one contributing piece. Uh, some of the, the forecasting from NIWA. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, they, this is you know certainly one of the things that can assist uh, agencies like Wellington Water or Water Care uh, to understand things um, like rainfall patterns, possible changes in water demand. Uh, into the next okay. couple of weeks. And what are the areas at the moment? I appreciate it's looking out 35 days, uh, which is interesting because a lot of farmers, for example, right now are looking out ahead to Feb, March, April, May. And can it do that longer picture with granularity, obviously less, but with some kind of granularity as well? Yeah, so... Um yeah, that's kind of the other, the, the next step up in the in the, t- the climate time, weather time, climate time scale, the seasonal space. And NIWA has been producing its uh, seasonal climate outlook since uh, 1999. Uh, so 2024 is the 25th anniversary of that product. And that goes out three months into the future and it updates once a month. Uh, and again, yeah, as you go further out in time, you're looking at a more general picture uh, for the country. Um, this El Nino that we've had has been a, a been a bit of an oddball in the sense that we haven't gotten the dryness 
in the traditional areas like the northern and eastern North Island, but we have had it in the lower North Island, of course, around Wellington, the Wairarapa, over the Cook Strait into the Marlborough region, uh, as well as across parts of Canterbury and Otago. So, um, you know, while it's been a bit a bit wet uh, for parts of uh, areas that wouldn't ex- necessarily expect it during an El Nino, there are actually quite a few regions that are experiencing dryness at the moment. Thanks both, Ben Noll and Nava Fadayev. More details on our website, listeners, if you want to follow up with that, rnz.co.nz forward slash nine to noon.